0: Hello, everyone. This is Jonathan Little, and I'm here today with the 24th episode of Weekly Poker Hand. And today, I wanted to share with you, before we get into this hand, a free preview of a webinar I did a little while ago where I discuss how to exploit your weak opponents. And this hand today actually deals with that quite a bit. So if you want to get information on that webinar that everyone loved who attended it, go to jonathanlittlepoker.com slash exploiting. E-X-P-L-O-I-T-I-N-G. And you'll get a free preview of that right there. And I'll be discussing everything that is discussed in that webinar. So you're going to find that whenever you do play live poker tournaments, that a lot of your opponents are going to be overly weak. They are going to be the type of players who fold whenever the board gets scary when they do not have a very good hand. And you need to make sure that you are making a point to take advantage of that. That being said, a problem that I have had in the past, and I think this hand actually illustrates that issue, is that I think in my mind, that a lot of players realize that I should be bluffing a lot on scary boards. Like, say there's a four straight or four flush on the board. I realize my opponent, or I think my opponents realize that I must be bluffing a lot, so that means they should be calling a lot. But in reality, they're just not. They're going to fold almost everything, especially to a sizable bet. So let's take a look at this hand. This hand was from a $3,000 World Series of Poker event. Uh, Notice we're only playing four-handed, so we're very early in the day. This is actually the first hand of the tournament. Um, Whenever you're playing tournaments, particularly live World Series events or European Poker Tour events or something like that, you often start off very shorthanded because a lot of players do not show up on time. All right, so 40-year-old guy raises from the cutoff. Uh, We have 200 big blind stacks. I decided to just call with Queen-Jack offsuit in the big blind, and this is a scenario where I could 3-bet if I felt like it. I could call. I I don't really think folding is an option. So I do call and see a flop, and I get a pretty good flop. It comes 10-9-2, two clubs. I have the Jack of Clubs in my hand. So, if I was playing this hand today, I think I would probably lead in this scenario because I don't really want to check call or check raise. Um, Check calling out of positions is always a little bit weak because it's difficult to get paid off whenever you hit. Like, say I do check call the flop and the turn is an 8 or a king. If I lead into my opponent at that point, he's going to have a tough time calling me with too many worse hands. And if he does call, it means he has something I would have gotten a lot of value out of anyways just by checking. Um, If I... Do not get a straight card on the turn, and I check any bets. That's another spot where I'm not really loving my scenario. I could check-raise bluff at that point if I felt like it, I suppose, but again, that's fairly optimistic. I could check-raise the flop. I think check-raising the flop is a very good play. On boards like this, you want to be check-raising with perhaps ace-10 or better, maybe king-10 or better. Uh, Maybe not even ace-10 or king-10, maybe just all two pairs and better. I think that's going to put my opponent in a... Pretty bad spot with a lot of his range. And I'd also be check raising with the draws. Probably all of them, really. If I had 8-7, I'd be check raising. If I had 8-6, I'd probably be check folding. Or leading as well. I think whenever you have a draw that's not quite good enough to check raise, you probably want to be leading with that instead. So like 8-6 would be a good example of that. Or queen 8, that'd be another pretty good example of a spot to lead. If you wanted to lead. I, I don't think you have to lead. I actually discuss this a lot in my book, Secrets of Professional Tournament Poker, about how leading is a very difficult thing to do. But, um, you know, I did write that book a few years ago at this point and I have progressed as a poker player and I've learned that there are spots where I do need to be leading. And it just makes play for your opponents a lot more difficult because a lot of players have learned very well how to play in position as the preflop raiser, but they don't really know how to deal with someone who's leading with a very wide um, dynamic range made up of not only one specific type of hand. So if I was leading here, it'd be with stuff like um, a nine, a two, random bluffs, and also occasionally very good hands like sets. But if, if I wasn't going to lead, I would be probably check-raising this most of the time. So I check, and my opponent checks behind. So when he checks behind, I don't really think he has too much of a hand. I think he probably has mostly hands like over cards that are not great, like king-queen or... King Jack or Ace Queen or something like that. Or maybe as a nine, like nine eight, or nine seven or ace nine, something like that, where he doesn't really want to bet and get raised. Maybe he has a ten that's bad, like ten seven or something like that. Or he could just have air, like ace four and be giving up. So the six is it's a pretty innocuous card. I don't think it really changes too much. This is a scenario now where I'm going to bet the turn and I'm going to bet the river. And I'm going to be doing that to try to get my opponent to fold most of his hands that are better than mine. Like say he does have ace high, I don't want to just check it down and let my opponent win. So I like betting. I think I do need to bet the turn. The pot's 325. I'm probably going to want to bet about 250. And then on the river, I'm probably going to be betting something like 800. So I think that's pretty much the only line that makes a lot of sense at this point. Because I really don't want to let the hand just check down. So I bet 250. My opponent calls, and they give me a straight on the river with the eight. Um, the, it's worth noting that the eight is much, is a much worse card for me than the king on this board because now any seven makes a straight. So in this scenario, I need to make, I really have three options that, that have a lot of merit given that I have the nuts. I either need to check, looking to check raise, obviously I'm check raising, (laughs) um, and I would be, I would do that if I thought my opponent was going to bluff if I was to check. So going back to the webinar I was discussing earlier at com slash exploiting, can you really expect a random 40-year-old guy to bluff this river when you check to him? And I think the answer is absolutely not. He's going to just check behind with whatever he has. And if he does have a seven, he's going to bet, but we're going to get value from a seven no matter how we play it. So I don't need to worry about that. I'm trying to figure out how do I get called by junk? How do I get action from junk? If this was a loose, aggressive kid, I would love checking to him. Because then when you check, that kid may decide to get out of line and make a bluff because you know it's the only way he can win if he has something like ace-four at this point, and he recognizes that. But a lot of older guys will not recognize that. They'll think, oh, I have ace-high. It might be good. I'm going to check. Or the board's so scary, my opponent must have something. I'm, he's never going to fold it if I bet, so I need to check. So you, you want to figure out what your opponent is capable of and what he's probably going to do whenever you take each specific betting line. Online, it gets a little bit more muddled because you often don't know what your opponent's thinking or what he's capable of, so then you just need to take more of a game theory optimal approach. But in live poker in particular, you can get a pretty good read on if your opponent is going to be capable of bluffing you if you check the river. So in general, I'm going to assume the random 40-year-old guy is not going to bluff me if I check the river, so I think checking is very bad. The next option is to bet small, maybe 300, to try to get 300 into the 825 pot to try to get called by any one pair or better hand. And I think that's actually a pretty good line in this spot. I am normally not a big fan of betting small when, you, when I have very good hands, but given my opponent's range, the range I assess that he probably had, it's probably all a lot of one pair or maybe two pair hands by the river. Also, one added benefit of betting small is if I bet, say, 300 and he has a seven, he may decide to raise, even though that's not actually a very good spot to raise because I'm probably not going to call him with many worse hands, assuming he has a seven. For the, for the bad straight. Um, so I, I think that most players would not raise in that spot. But that being said, a lot of weaker players or players who are just not aware that a, a 7 is not the nuts in this spot, they will raise, which is fantastic. So I, I like a small bet of around 300, maybe even smaller, like 200 or 225. Um, so that I think that would be a pretty cool play. Or I could take a line where I bet very large. And this is where I often find myself wondering if I'm making errors. Because... I'm a very big fan of overbetting on boards like this, especially as a bluff in a spot where I can make my opponent fold everything besides a seven. So if I think this guy's going to fold everything besides a seven to a big bet, like say, one thousand or twelve hundred or eight hundred into the eight hundred pot, you know, a, a pot size bet or slightly larger than a pot size bet, if I could realistically expect him to fold a lot of those hands, like ten nine or pocket eights, then of course I should be betting big because then I'm going to make him fold almost his entire range. However, I don't think that's what happens a lot of the time. I think a lot of players are going to view this gigantic bet and say, well, my opponent's clearly trying to make me fold, so now I have to call. (laughs) And if I can... Obviously, if I bet, say, 1,200, my opponent calls with 9.8 or 10.9, that's way better than if I bet 2.50 and he called because now I'm getting an extra 1,000 chips in value, which is quite significant. So really what this amounts to is... Can you accurately assess your opponent's calling range when you bet very big versus when you bet very small? And what portion of those are hands that will almost always call a big bet, like a seven's always calling a big bet, versus hands that will almost never call a big bet, like ace nine, for example, is pretty much never calling a big bet. So in this scenario, let's see what I decided to do. I decided to go with a 1,400 chip bet, so a very large bet. And I was almost certainly doing this because I had some sort of a read that I thought my opponent liked his hand, and I thought he would call a big bet. Let's see if he did. He does not. So this is a scenario where maybe if I bet smaller, I would have gotten called more often. But there's something I have to realize. Whenever you make a very large bet, it doesn't have to work out very often to make it way more profitable than a smaller bet. So let's say I bet, for simplicity, 350, right? because 350 is one-fourth the size of 1,400. So that means that for those bets to be of equal value, my 1,400 chip bet has to get called 25% as often as the 350 chip bets. And the way you can figure out how often each bet's going to get called is you give your opponent a calling range for um, the one bet size, so 350. So let's say he calls with whatever, half of his hands that he has on the river. Whenever I bet 350, But let's say calls with 20% of the hands if I bet 1,400. So, in that scenario, the 1,400 chip bet is going to get called 40% as often as the 350 chip bet. And we know that that is way more than 25%. 40% is way more than 25%. So, it's going to be a really easy bet big. There are other spots where the 1,400 chip bet almost never gets called, maybe because it's impossible for your opponent to have a seven. I don't think that's the case here, but maybe it is. And if that's the case, then a, a giant bet is significantly worse, if you're going for value, of course. <laughs> Sometimes you are going for a bluff as well. But you're going to find that making these big bets against specific players who think you are capable of bluffing, who think you are fairly active, will turn a very large profit in the long run compared to smaller bets. The The problem that a lot of players run into is that they see this 14 chip bet failing in this scenario, because obviously I got no value, right? That's a bad thing. However, it's probably going to work off, work out often enough. It's sort of like whenever you're betting long shots in sport betting or something like that, where you know, you're know you 10 to 1 whenever you make this bet, and you realize you're probably going to lose when you make this bet, but sometimes it comes in, and if it comes in more than 10 to 1, then you're going to be a pretty nice winner in the long run. And this is one of those spots where this 1400 chip bet comes in maybe 20% of the time, and that's going to be way better than a bet that comes in 50% of the time, but it's for significantly less money. So um, that's going to be that for this episode. If you guys have any questions, definitely let me know. I discuss this type of concept a lot in that webinar at com slash exploiting. So check that out and let me know what you think. If you guys have any questions or comments, as always, please leave them in the comments section below this video on com. And also, if you are getting this on iTunes or anywhere else, please leave a, a review. I, I'm, I'm definitely looking to pick up as many subscribers as I can. I, I like sharing good poker knowledge with my fan base, so... Please share this with your friends and leave me some comments. Thank you very much, and I will talk to you next week.